0: I just took myself to Paris one day um, to the shows and I didn't know anyone. I knew, I talked to waiters. That was all that I would talk to for four or five days. Say in some dodgy hotel, go to the show, sit in like road J. I always joke that for a while I didn't think models had legs because my seat was so bad. It would just be torsos. I'm just floating around. I don't know. Do they have shoes? Um, (laughs) You know, but get in the show and people would be so mean and you wouldn't know anyone, but you would just go. But you're still there. I was still there. And it was great. Welcome to No Limits.
1: I'm Rebecca Jarvis. Each week, we're talking to women playing at the top of their game. So how are they doing it? Whether you're looking for answers or you just want to hear a good story, you're in the right place. My guest today started life on a farm in Australia and grew up dreaming of a career as a fashion journalist. After bouncing around the magazine world, hustling to get freelance gigs and into fashion shows, she knew she needed to be in New York City and arrived here days before September 11th, 2001, with just $5,000 to her name. Since then, she's spent 11 years at Harper's Bazaar, eventually becoming its executive editor. She's collaborated on campaigns with everyone from Martin Scorsese to Tim Burton, and now she runs one of the world's most successful fashion media brands, as
0: editor-in-chief of InStyle. Laura Brown, welcome to No Limits. Thanks. I'm feeling unlimited. I'm sprawled. <laughs> I'm sprawled all over the desk, making a, a shambles of ABC Radio Studio, and it's beautiful. I wish you could be here to see it, guys. It is. It's. It really is. You should see the views. <laughs> I've got of, the the latest. <laughs> I've got the latest
1: magazine with Amy Schumer on the <laughs> on the cover. We're gonna to get to that in a second. But I want to talk to you about your childhood a little bit because yeah. you were you were born rip, on a uh, farm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: You're born on a farm. Yes. Did I was you not work physically, on the farm? Um, but. No, my dad, bless his soul, um, was farmer Brown. Quite literally, he was a dairy farmer uh, in country New South Wales, about two hours outside of Sydney. So my um, we were on a farm, uh, like a, a Brown Swiss cattle farm, where he would go and milk the cows um, every day, and I would scamper around with my pets. Uh, I had a, a yeah, I had a black and white cat called Blackie and Whitey because I was a poet. Anyway, um, so yeah, till four. Till till five, actually, until the divorce. And then, (laughs) did it seem like that when you were a kid? Did it feel that way? No, I just, I always like to say divorce dramatically. Um, No, when you're five and your parents get divorced, I think that you don't really remember much, I hope. I think it's, look, if your parents are going to get divorced, which is no one actually plans for, I think it's better when the kids are younger than when they're older. I remember sort of sitting on a couch and like them telling me something and like, and then... Going, patting me, and I was like, okay. And then you just kind of carry on. You know what I mean? You don't, you don't, I don't think, I think you, I mean, it depends on the kid, obviously, but I don't think you weather it as, as, it's not as difficult as it is when you say a teenager. And you grew up with your mom? I grew up with my mom in Sydney, um, in a little one bedroom flat. We moved around a little bit. Um, We did Manly in Sydney, which is a beachside. beachside suburb and then moved to north sydney which is basically where the harbour bridge is and the opera house is on one side and where the bridge ends on the other side that's where we lived um so we lived in a little like one bedroom like um what do you call it, it wouldn't be like a council estate but it was called housing commission which is like subsidised housing um, cuz we were poor you were <laughs> oh did yeah. you did you know it at the time did you feel yeah, it yeah um, no 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 not like i mean it was always food i mean it wasn't like we, you know um, it's not like a Sarah Jessica Parker story when there's seven kids and you're, you know. Um, no, it was like, you know, my mom worked in an insurance sort of company and various jobs and um, I I think I, no, we always ate and there was, you know, we'd drive around, we'd get pizza and it wasn't like, no, it wasn't like a bad movie, um, just subsidized housing. And um, and then I sub- <laughs> subsisted on my delusions of grandeur. So, no, I, um, I worked, I started working from when I was about 13 14 what was the first job it was working in uh what we would call a lolly shop but it's like a a beach side my my uncle had a seafood restaurant in Manly and there was um it would be like the uh a bit, like a store that sold food on the beach. Like we call it a lolly shop. So it would be like you'd sell ice creams, you'd sell sandwiches, you'd sell um, chocolate bars or whatever to bottles of water. Actually, not even bottles of water then because no one bought bottled water in, like, <laughs> when I was like in 1988. This affectation has hit us later. Um, so maybe you yeah. sold a Coca-Cola or a Pessie I for a from time's time. Yeah, I sold a coca and I would make sandwiches and um and make money, you know, and then uh, make my money. And then I graduated to like waitress at about 15 um in this seafood place and I worked in that in that restaurant for until I finished high school until 17 so and made my own money did you no. at that point did you want to move to the US did you have dreams of uh, working in the magazine industry Yeah, i mean since i was about 9 i really loved i really loved magazines i loved the otherness of it it always seemed like it was something different a world apart from me and it so isn't um uh, but uh i loved glamour but not in like a necessarily like a i wasn't that sort of person i wouldn't be like i'm gonna put on a taffeta dress and swan around i just liked i loved the supermodels i loved uh movie stars i liked art i liked things that were being made and whoever represented that to me and especially being from australia when you're just you're far away so it feels even more like it's this sort of superhighway that you'll never be on. Right. Um, so it's so distant. It's so distant. And and so you mythologize it. You know. I'm always never like a fantasist or anything, I've always been really pragmatic. But um you certainly do go, Oh, there's there's the shiny there's the shiny world. And it's not and it's not where I am and I like it and I want to get there in some way.
1: Getting there in some way, that is yeah. the question though. When yeah. you're because murder. I, I think- you
0: murder a lot of people. <laughs> Sorry.
1: Oh, did I say that out loud? When you're Sorry. when yeah. coming from your background, yeah. I, I feel like I came from a similar place where I just had no idea where to even begin with this sure. industry. Yeah. So, how did you figure out that first step? Were there mentors around telling yeah. you this is what you do, Laura? No,
0: you know what's funny? I, I know I, this mentor question is. I always feel bad that I don't. I can't readily answer it, but I think I just kind of. I got out there like we would do. In high school, it would be what we would say internships. We're, we At home, we call it work experience. Yeah, work experience. And uh, I would go into magazines and go and, like, get the baby You hustled. and I have the hustle muscle. Not a mercenary hustle muscle, but a hustle muscle for sure. Um, and so I would go, like 15 years old, go and intern at Hero Magazine, which was a fashion magazine there. Various things, and you'd go there for one week or two weeks, and you'd be kind of in it, and it would, would be so exciting. And uh, And so you just kind of through the end of high school, I would do as many of those as I could. you do those on your, on your holidays. Or, and so I knew I wanted to write and I wanted to be in, in print magazines. So um, I then studied communications. I got into a communications journalism course in a country university called Charleston University Mitchell, um, which was a very high, hugely highly regarded course, but it was like three hours outside of Sydney. Um, and then when I was doing that, I was super bored by the theory of it. Um, and I just wanted to get moving because there was a lot of – it was still like in those, in those days, early 90s, you, you didn't all you know, necessarily have computers at home. You didn't have the internet really, you know mm-hmm. what I mean, at all. Did you? I can't remember. Don't fact check me. And um, <laughs> I don't recall that. And um, and so you would be looking at a lot of theory and you would be like – it, it felt old-fashioned a lot of the ways it was being, being taught. And then you'd be like, no, I just want to go and work at a newspaper. I just want to go and get moving because guess what? What we do and studying what we do – it's vocational and you just have to sort of start doing it. You can't theorize about it all day. You just got to get in there and hone your instincts and hone your idea of what a lead is a story and how to tell a story and how to structure a story. And you can have people, you know, uh, critique you on that and learn from them. But at the end of the day, your instinct ends ends up sort of forming. So, yeah, I did a ton of uh, work experience through those years too. And I ended up – because I was early when I started college because I was so smart. No, not really. I – we started, I started you were at, you knew you were on a mission it's yeah, like. yeah, I started at seventeen, um college and and because our arts degrees are only three years, because um, we're just lazy people. no, I, we um <laughs> I was done by nineteen and i finished I finished my final course by correspondence because I was so eager just to go and get a job, so I just did my last paper. I came back to present it when I was already working Australian family magazine. it lasted for. About two months. I had this really kind of hilarious checkered history of going to work at magazines intern or whatever, and then we'd close down. Um, Correlation? <laughs> Causation? Laura Brown. No limits. <laughs> Tons of limits to magazines. So, so I was there for like two months, but then I started at this magazine called Mode as an assistant, and Mode fancied itself as like a W magazine, kind of Sydney Social Sydney social—they all talk like that there um, when they're posh. Um, and um, did they? Oh, yep, absolutely. And um, so I—I I, I was assisting there, and then I started doing production, which sucks. It's—it's it's very boring, and but it's—you're the one like writing out the the flat plan of how the magazine will lay up, and then at the same time I was doing it by hand because we didn't have the programs. This was eighteen ninety-two. But, and so, and you're chasing people around to get their, hit their deadlines and all that, doing all of this sort of boring work. grunt work. And I wanted to write so badly that um, I would be like, okay, I'll put my hand up to write this news page about the collections or an album coming out or whatever, and I would sit there at night and I would write. They were receptive that. to that. Yeah, because all the magazines in Australia have very small staffs, um, especially especially then. You had, like, 16 people on your staff or whatever, so if you could acquit yourself, um, you could do it. So then I ended up just sort of having ownership of these pages and, and, and writing sort of fun, like, lifestyle-y, fashion stuff. Um but then I really um, – the the typical thing that you do when um, you're in Australia near the bottom of the world, and I'd never been on a plane or anywhere um, until I was 21. So I just – my first flight ever was a $565 ticket one way to London on some sort of – I don't even know. I swear there are livestock on there. I don't know what the hell this plane was. Um I remember it was the good old days we could go visit them in the in the cockpit. Um, but <laughs> you,
1: you went and flew the plane. I, for a no, bit. I went and sat in
0: the cockpit, <laughs> and the guy was like, "I'll go this way and that way." And he tilted the plane two ways. Oh god, oh these. I know those heady days in nineteen. Oh bloody! What was this? Nineteen ninety seven. Yeah, nineteen ninety seven. You're on your first flight ever. I moved. Yeah, I moved to ninety seven. Oh, yeah, hang on, ninety six. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm all over the road with my dates. Anyway. I'm actually 75 and I've been lying the whole time. But um, <laughs> And no, and so we moved. It was me and three girlfriends and we moved to London and we did that sort of Aussie backpacking thing because, again, we're at the bottom, bottom of the world and we've not seen anything. So we do this thing where we're like four of us went around for three months and just got drunk a lot and ate a lot. And do you think that was badly. a good thing to do? Oh, yeah, you have to. You have to do it. And, you've got to, and then your money runs out and then you've got to go get a job and then you see things. And we and went to Portugal and Spain and Amsterdam and... Ireland and Scotland, and you know, all around Europe, it was fabulous. And, um, and you and you just we were just terrible as, as you are at those those ages. And then we turned up in London, broken fat. <laughs> so, we would eat was like white bread in, in parks. Oh, we were so fat, it was so funny. Um, and, uh, and then we had to get a job in London. So, I was in London for two years, um, trying. And I had this brilliant idea that I was going to become a freelance fashion writer in London, not knowing anyone. And London's not very easy. You know, it's not the sort of place. Like I always say, the difference when New York and London. Even if you meet a pretentious person in New York, they still talk to you. London can be quite exclusionary and quite clicky, and just you know that. When you make friends in London, you make them for life, but it's harder at the beginning. So I remember trying to do that, and I remember one day I didn't have enough money for a coke. I didn't have fifty p for a can of coke. Um, So I ended up. I worked at the BBC for a bit assisting, uh, and then I ended up working at an advertising agency called Mother. Then I got a job at Australian Consolidated Press, which was the London office of the publisher that I had worked for in Sydney. On this path,
1: Mm. you know, you're in London. You have very little to your name and you're trying so hard to find something and you're being shut out. Yeah. Do you ever think at this point, maybe I should just choose a totally different path? No. Why not?
0: I just knew I could do it. You know what I mean? And I just was like, you know, I... My opportunities to write – I think I always knew that I could write for people back in Australia because there is something – speaking of the mythology, if you are in another place, people in Australia will ask you to do stuff. So I always could – I couldn't necessarily get commissions in London so much, but I could get them in Australia. So I always had that kind of that kind of backbone and just being like, no, okay, well – but I was still, like, hungry enough. Even if I would be working at um, ACP, I would go – I remember one day I took myself off to – and because I, I was writing for um, – Harper's Bazaar in Australia then or a little, at least a little bit. And I would get myself accredited as a as a contributor or whatever for Bazaar Australia to the Paris fashion shows. And I just took myself to Paris one day um, to the shows and I didn't know anyone. I knew – I talked to waiters. That was all that I would talk to for four or five days, say in some dodgy hotel, go to the show, sit in like Road J – I always joke that for a while I didn't think models had legs because I my seat was so bad. It would just be <laughs> torsos um, just floating around. But, oh, I don't know. Do they have shoes? Um, you know, about get in the show and people would be so mean and you wouldn't know anyone. But you would just but go. But you're still there. Oh. I was still there. And it was great. I remember living in London, I used to like for a while sneak into the Alexander McQueen shows, which were the greatest, still the greatest shows you would ever see uh, in like the late 90s. Just p- poetic, but like a rock like better than any rock concert, better than anything. And, and just going what fashion could be in the world that it could conjure up, um, uh, was so incredible. So, you know, that, it, so, but then I had the proximity. So then when you have the proximity, even if you're in Rojay, it feeds your desire all the more and you start working within that. So at least I was there. At least I could, I used to get frustrated that I couldn't see things firsthand and everything felt secondhand. So at least it was firsthand, even if, if it was far away. Um, so I did that. My visa ran out, came back to Australia. Um, this is ninety nine, And um, I started working for Harper's Bazaar. No, I worked in a Versace shop for six weeks. How was that? Oh, I was crap at it. I couldn't gift wrap to <laughs> save my life. Did you terrible. sell a lot of clothes? No, no. I just was like, I don't want to do this. But it just was just really funny. It was funny. You know, customers always write. And it was Versace was like, you know. Versace-ish. And uh, no, it was fine. Um, but then I wanted to get back to Bazaar, and so I started working there, and I was there as a feature. How did editor. you get that
1: job back at Bazaar? Back, I knew people there, and I just was like... You had been freelancing for them yeah, for a time. Yeah, and I
0: just was like, well, come on, what's going on, what's going on, what's going on, what's going on?
1: You were you were and, aggressive uh, about well, just, just was like, touching base yeah, over and over like, again? Yeah,
0: like, guys, come on, let me in. I know I always... I, I think my, my, my subliminal fear sometimes is like not being able to go get back into a life you created for yourself. You know what I mean? It was like... Being like, no, come on, let me back, let me back. And um and so they did. And uh, I sat there as a features editor and I was there for two years, but the whole time my head was here. Like it was just here. I I'd come here on one little trip when I was in London, stayed in a dodgy hotel, went to the diner for a diner for the first time, I thought I was in a movie, went to Windows on the World for dinner. Um and I'd had a little taste of it, you know, and then when I got back to Australia we had internet then, um, but you'd be writing about, I remember very clearly, and it sort of sounds sort of meaningless, but it was like a Helmut Lang had, had a show, and I was writing about the show from looking it online, and I just got so frustrated because, again, I was like, I just want to see it with my eyes. I need to see things and be with them, be it a Helmut Lang fashion show, be it like Park Avenue, be it like whatever the, be hell, in the Central room. Park. The important be in place. The room. Yeah, I just wanted to see it and not feel like things were secondhand. So um, – and I remember we used to get all the, all the American magazines um, in a bag from New York and I would them all up and I would take them home. And one day I was in – I had this great apartment. I was like living like right on uh, Sydney Harbor, really great views. And I was reading New York Magazine and I was reading Intelligencer. And it was about the time – this is another time stamp. I think I was reading something about Moomba, <laughs> right, the club. And, uh, and I was so immersed in this Intelligencer. I was so immersed in – in New York I just was like in it and I swear I looked up and I'd completely forgotten where I was I just was in New York you had taken yourself there and I I, yeah and I was like my apartment looked at the Harbour Bridge like you couldn't be any ambiguity about where the bloody hell I was but I was in New York Um, and so I saved did you think it was a sign yeah I did what I knew anyway and I was like so I saved like I think I had like $8,000 Aussie which was $5,000 US at the time the exchange was really bad And I had a foreign journalist visa, which means, like, I couldn't make money from here. I had to, like – I could live here and report, but I had to report for Australian publications or whatever. Australia. So I got the visa, turned up here. I knew one and a half people. I knew one – I had one friend and one person I sort of knew. And I arrived on September the 4th, 2001. So were you scared like on September 11th? Yeah, I was delusional for a minute because I think anybody that was here was a bit like – also it was like fashion week and it mm-hmm. sounds really dumb. But like I'd been at the Marc Jacobs show the night before and and it was so glamorous and it was so like – I was like I've made it. I'm here. It was like this almost like Dionysian like fest after the show. It was all like – I just remember lots of like Rosanna Arquette and a bunch of grapes and everyone was drinking and it was it was on a pier and it was beautiful and it looked downtown. To the trade center, even I was with a, a French girlfriend, and we we're both kind of drunk. And um, we're like, woohoo! You know, look where we are. So the next day, when the first thing you know, on the news, we wow. all like heard like a plane's hit something. But again, you don't know what sort of plane it is. You don't know. And I think anybody would be like, does this affect my day to day? Does this affect my, because you didn't know what it was when right. it was first actually happening. And so I literally thought of the fashion shows canceled? because you don't know that it's a terrorist attack. You don't know what's up. And, um, I remember, and I remember it was so like visual, you know. Mm-hmm. And at the time, you weren't necessarily computing how horrifying it was because you just—it's like snapshots. Mm-hmm. And I was standing in Sixth Avenue on Sixth Avenue, and I was standing next to Susan Sarandon. It was me, and I just got, I kept going like, "I'm watching a Die Hard movie or something," you know. You're not—you're mm-hmm. not getting it at all, and because I think it's your protective thing, you're just trying to make it into something else. And I was standing next to Susan Sarandon. I saw her the other day, and I, I was like, "Remember? I was like, oh, that's right. I was standing next to you. It was so weird." Um, but I didn't really compute it until about three weeks later. I don't think I didn't get up really upset until about three weeks later because I think everyone was in shock. I guess my poor mom. I mean,
1: did it she was, want you to come
0: home? Yeah, I mean, look, we all know being in New York, we know how visceral and terrible it was. But it, on the on the TV, it looked like World War Three. You know, when you're sitting on and watching television in Sydney,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you're like, my daughter's there. And I'm like, I know, but I'm still, Gristiti's is still open and I'm still going to get my, ta- my canned tuna. And, you know, like, you're, I mean, you know, we're just right. in Don't worry, all mom. The time. I'm going to be all right. Yeah, I'm going to we be all just, smart and safe. Yeah. And we were all just, remember how everyone was so social? Everyone just wanted to go out and, and be together. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it was horrible for my mom. Um, but no, I never wanted to leave. I was in it then, you know, and I was working at the New York Post, freelancing doing fashion stuff, but also, like, doing September 11th reporting. And it was such a – I remember my first year – I actually don't remember much. It felt like a dream sequence kind of. Like, I remember I had to get a social, social social security number, but I don't really remember where I went, you know, mm-hmm. or, like, going past big hunks of burning, like, melted metal downtown to go and do that. And I just don't have a lot of establishing images anymore because it was such a – odd and sad time that um, that I do know I never I never want to leave a bunch of Aussies left you know and I just was like ah, not
1: here now how did you yeah. make contacts in the beginning cuz you seem like a very social person I and a very slept open person I so
0: many <laughs> no um I um my friend Libby Calloway, she was um, the fashion editor of the New York Post uh, and I'd met her in Australia cuz she was on an exchange with the Australian newspaper um and I met her, and I, she was one of the first ones that I said, I'm going to move to New York. So I had two friends. My friend Sarah Winter, who's an actress, she's Aussie, she lived in L.A., so I had, like, two fairy godmothers and different... Um, but she would just, like, take me out, and I'd meet, I'd meet people. But I met this guy, Mare Roshan, who at the time was a deputy editor of Talk Magazine, but he was working for New York Magazine when I met him in Sydney, and he was down to do a profile on Lachlan Murdoch. And we had dinner together, and so I met him, and... Um, Went to go meet him at Talk magazine, another magazine that I was employed at, which closed down. See? No limits to my <laughs> ability to close down magazines. And um, and so I went went to see him and he sort of gave me like a freelancey kind of gig um, there where I met Tina and – I mean not Tina Brown and whatever. But like I didn't even know her particularly well. But then I um, I freelanced again on and off. Like I just did. I met people that worked at Women's Wear Daily. I met you know this. I had a boyfriend in LA, so I was coming and going from LA a bit. But I just sort of yeah, just met people. I, and it wasn't in a way like I never had a list. I never had a I will do this. I I'm more of a surfer. It's just sort of like oh, there's a. I remember going oh so naff, so embarrassing. But I remember going to a party at the Calvin Klein store, and Calvin Klein was there. It was so exciting. I was like that's. Actually, Calvin Klein. Yeah. Um, you know, I see all the time now. But, you Did you, know, you take a picture? No. I was cool. Yeah, not cool. Um, <laughs> and um, so but I was sort of around to things. I would meet people and then...
1: You uh, were in the right places. You kept yeah, pushing to, to go and your friends
0: were helping you get the, in. I the ship a bit, I guess. But uh, my first real, like, sponsored job was um, at W Magazine. They gave me a visa. Um, my baby's first visa. I'm forever grateful to them. And they hired me as a senior editor um, there. So that kind of got the real, real train going. Um, and I was there for almost two years um, editing a lot of our foreign bureau people, people were in Paris, Milan, writing. I did my first cover story there, which is Jennifer Garner. Blew the lid off Jennifer Garner. And... Um, but then details called and I was curious about men's magazines. Um, Why? I just had not done it. I was like, oh, let's – let maybe I'll write about – because, again, W is super social, super – I was like, oh, just got, maybe I'll get, like, write about finance or whatever the hell it was. It sucked. Really? Yeah, I didn't like it. Because uh, you weren't um, interested in the content or the- – I liked the – people. I, I just oh, – I should take the fifth. It just wasn't fun. It wasn't a fun place to work.
1: Really? Yeah, I didn't like it. Because uh, you weren't um, interested in the content or? The- I liked the people.
0: I, I just, oh, I should take the fifth. It just wasn't fun. It wasn't a fun place to work. Um could have been, uh, but it wasn't. And during that time, and it's funny because I can sort of rally, but it was like sort of, you know, not the crash. But Bazaar had been calling me a little bit because Glenda had started there. And I met Glenda like right, Glenda Bailey, right after September 11th actually. And, um, and they were like, do you want to come and I was like, oh, I was, I'm just going to details now, actually, so I can't order. You know, I'm gonna. I just was starting at the other place, and I kept calling, kept calling, and then I um, and I met their deputy editor at the time. His name was Sarah Bailey, an English lady who'd come over, and she was. We just had a drink, and she was fabulous, and she's still uh, one of my closest friends. And so I said, okay, and I I went over there, started there on Valentine's Day, two thousand and five. <laughs> um, and, uh, I started as like an articles director, which is like, just I thought, oh, I'm just going to be editing a couple of essays a month, you know, and it turned into so much more. I, I you know, I, I did that for a bit and then I t- started sort of masochistically, it seems turned out like taking on the celebrity bookings, booking the covers. What goes into that. that? Oh God, it's so undignified. Um, what, it's, what's undignified about no, it? I was just saying like, if, if your boss wants one person and you just have to keep asking, and you're like, can we not? Because I don't want to do it. Right What's now. the secret to a good um, ask? A good ask is knowing that you have a persuasive idea, knowing that the time is right for the person. Say if it's Jennifer Aniston, you can't ask Jennifer Aniston for a cover 10 times. You know, when she does um, takes turns, like she'll do this cover or that cover. She'll only do a cover when she has a uh, project, she's not going to do covers for no reason. So you just got to be pra- a pragmatic but persuasive booker is is the best booker as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, what we were able to do was um, – and again, Bazaar was a good um, training ground because we didn't have – we weren't vogue in terms of the vogueishness. We didn't have mass circulation like a glamour or, you know, L or in style. Um, but we were original. High fashion, one, and original. So people would – come to us because we had good ideas and we weren't just resting on our laurels because we had to hustle a little more because we weren't the instant go-to um and we weren't the mass go-to um so we would be but we were the, the sort of the cool go-to
1: and you so that yeah. meant you could be experimental
0: a little bit yeah we would just push it a bit like i stuck around in a shark we just try and glenda my boss would not you know settle for magazine fodder she always wanted to push it um so you know but i learned that what well, i'm sort of fast forwarding a bit I, at the beginning I just started doing covers but then i started having ideas creative ideas for portfolios and all those kind of things so i started becoming like a a features director and booker but also a creative director you know sort of without title but very much a conceptual person so one of the first things i did which was great was like um sending the simpsons to paris right for fashion week right yeah and working on the simpsons and animating them with like linda evangelista who was like taking them to paris and and um and that was just also like I w- I would like to work with pop culture and fashion together. How did you come up with that idea? I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> um, I kind I of believe was- you. No, I- no, no. I think <laughs> someone had said we should do something with animation at some point, and it was it just in passing? And then I was like, oh god, we should do I I love The Simpsons, and that would be like I always like something that's got a bit of a. Can you understand that? A rub. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. it's like it's got it's got like something in common it It's got a little rub. yeah, exactly. Yeah, so well, I went off there and and befriended their creative director and what was so cool about that shoot, it wasn't shoot, that drawing. Um, was I love like I like seeing things going out there into the world and not in an ego way, but in like a how people how you have an idea and then it suddenly just arrives and things happen because of it. Mm-hmm. Like a a ripple effect or something. And the craziest thing was I remember um I was looking at a a social picture and and I ran you know, into Mark Jacobs and I'd seen a picture of him somewhere and he had this like fake tattoo of his um of his character from from a thing from the the portfolio and I was like oh god I love that fake tattoo you got um with yourself as as a simpson he goes no it's not fake and so he so, he got uh, the tattoo because yeah, of the yeah of the thing. So on Mark Jacobs' arm, there's Mark Jacobs as a Simpson, which has been conceptualized by Julius, who's the other two Simpsons, and me. Wow, it's wild for life. For life, I love that sort of stuff. I love the weirdness of it. Definitely, it's so fun. And just so that was like, and I was like, oh, this is cool. So I just kept going, and so I, you know, over all the years that I was there, the role changed so much. The world um, has changed so much, yeah, too. Yeah, and you have to be – I think I'm, I think of myself now as, like, a creative producer. you got to make it happen. you got to persuade the people. You've got to get the money. And got to you constantly
1: have to have new ideas and better ideas than yeah. the last ideas and, and, and then get the money and the execution yeah, on all of to it. to do
0: that. And, um, and I think that – and that's what I love. I love being like, oh, come on, can we do that? And when anybody – I think this is the Aussie thing, and it's, like, from being far away. I still get a kick, and, and this is – I hope this doesn't sound – I'm disingenuous. If anybody turns up, like on a shoot, I'm like, I was just thinking about this in the shower, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Especially when they fly somewhere, and I'm like, you risked your life. Um, I do. I think that if you had a thought about something, Rihanna and the Shark being a good example. I, I love the movie Jaws, it was Jaws' anniversary. I love the picture of Steven Spielberg goofing around in his big, like, naff, like, white socks in the shark's mouth, and then you go, hey, Rihanna, do you want to do this shot, you know, and oh, maybe, and you build a shark, this cheesy-looking shark in Brooklyn, and then you truck it down to Tampa, and you stick her in the shark mouth when it's actually her in a bunch of, with a backdrop of black garbage bags and a neck cushion, and then you end up creating this image where she's floating floating in the sea, in the mouth of the shark, and it's amazing, and it becomes a meme, and it you know, um, that's rad, you know, that's when you can, and when people try, and this is what you earn, I think, when people trust you enough, mm-hmm. and that's the equity you get after being in magazines for a certain amount of time and being a booker mm-hmm. or being the person being like, come on, come on, come on, come and do this. And then when you have the creative idea that they trust, then they show up for you. And that's, that's really cool.
1: I want to get to the InStyle uh, transition yeah. in a second. But yes. I think that raises an interesting point because in careers... You you might have ideas when you're Mm -hmm. young and just starting out, but sometimes sharing those ideas, you are met with a totally different audience.
0: I think a great idea should be, you know, received hopefully well and executed. But there there is something about ideas and and equity. That you build uh, that trust that you build, through what you you've done and learned and experienced. and, I think, and you earn it. And, and you can have a great idea and be a younger, a, y- a young person, and but not necessarily have the maturity to carry it out, not have the context, not necessarily have the social ability, um, potentially, hopefully not, you know, a level of entitlement. There's a lot of that now, as we see, but like, oh, I should be able to do this now. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes you can have the idea, but sometimes you're going to have to get the bagel too, you know, and um, – I think that there's there's an e- it's never easy, but there is an ease that comes with having the equity behind your ideas. But um, but also just having the the way to be able to persuade people uh, in a way, you, your idea is nothing unless people come along with you. Um, and so, I, I just being a a good person. I know it sounds so pat, but like and and working well with other people and that and having an ease of communication with people will make everything else. It will all follow. So your ideas then will reach more receptive ears if you're a good, creative, decent person, worker or or boss.
1: As the editor in chief of InStyle, what is yes. the
0: toughest part of your job? Um it's so performative. And especially for me because I do other stuff like videos and speeches and um it's not tough as in it's hard. It's tough physically sometimes it's tiring because especially when you're you have new. to be out there in to order to continuously
1: there. sell the magazine yeah. and promote. And
0: yeah, I mean, so I will be, um, they'll be like, Laura, go, you know, come and meet with this room of advertisers. And so I'll go, you know, and I'll, follow, and I'll do my, 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 my talk. <laughs> you do you. Um, I do, I do do me. <laughs> I do do me. <laughs> um, what do you do? I do do do. That sounds like Bernie Sanders. But, um, <laughs> so I go and do that a lot. And also because I'm still new. So I, I still have a lot of people I need to meet. Um, I do speeches a lot. I must have speak quite a bit. I do town hall things. I do panels. Um, I do videos. I have, you know, I used to have a video show at Bazaar called The Look, a funny little thing where you just goof around with a celeb. And I'm doing that again at Insta. It's called Dirty Laundry. Uh, I, I literally sit with a celebrity in the laundromat <laughs> and they bring clothes. Um, but it's all of that together. And then it's so – it's 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 tough sometimes. I can turn it on. I can turn it on in any any room. I mean, but sometimes I just – I get I get worn out. I have to go to bed early. I have to have wine at night. You know what I mean? I have to do something because I think because you can you have I mean like I'm lucky to have more than just a print editor string to my bow. I do have all the social media stuff and everything else, but because you can do it, you know, and I and people it's people ask you to do it. And so I I have to sometimes learn to say no absolutely yeah. i think we all everybody has yeah. to learn to say no to the right things i'm, I'm not very good i'm getting better now How, yeah. why do you think you've gotten better i think that i will get stretched too thin i think people don't need to hear from me all the time uh, i'm an editor i have to edit myself i have to edit who i talk to and what i say and i have to apply that skill in my job to the way that i'm and also i'm conscious because i, I am new and in style and, and when the march issue came out which is my first official issue. I talked to everyone. I was like, let's go. I had – everyone was following me around and I'm so glad they were interested, frankly. But, you know, I was. I was everywhere. Um And so I'm I'm conscious of not doing that a lot. And I uh, – again, now because I have a new issue that I – it's a first – we'll get into, I'm sure, beauty issue. But I, I'm conscious of like not – I'm going to Australia for fashion week, Aussie fashion week, in about a, a month and all these people are asking me. And I'm like, I've done stuff. Like, I'll talk to you when I'm there, but – I can't. I can't do it because I think it's too much. I think people will tire of me. Um, And also for my own health. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. You have to sleep. Yeah. I do.
1: What it seems like the dream that you had as a child is what you now have essentially attained.
0: Yes. How much of it is what you You thought it would be? a lot of it. I think that I the mythology isn't – I appreciate people. I I, I think I, I say I'm, I res, I'm respectful but not reverent. I think also another reason why I got to whatever stage this is is I was very – I'm kind of down with people. I don't get intimidated. I don't glorify people too much. I very much exist on their level. I don't know if it's my only child sense of entitlement or whatever it is. I just can sort of walk in a room and be like, what's up, Karl Lagerfeld? Like, and it's okay, even though I'm respectful, but I, I just – so it's always been easier for me than for others. I don't get cowed by people, I guess, as 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 you know, others can. So I think that that is what has sustained me. But also, I don't who I used to think were the people on the superhighway are just people at work. And I see the I think a really good example is Christy Turlington. I use this all the time, but I met her when I was a reporter in Sydney, and she was coming down with her like supermodelness. And it was like for Noala, like the yoga stuff she was doing. And I went to interview her one, I had a terrible hangover. No. But I was young and I'd been out, you know, mm-hmm. and I was like and she was so nice. And I remember like I liked her so much that I ended up telling her that I had a terrible hangover. <laughs> um but she was like this supermodel and I was just this kid from Sydney and um and then we ran into each other a couple of times in in New York and and then we have friends in common. Now we're really, really close friends. Um And I see her life. And, you know, I used to think that she was just walking around on Versace runways all day. And that's that's not how it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that that is the change. I still and I also say if, if every celebrity or model or whatever is a duck on a pond, I always see the legs. I always have been able to and it's like okay, it's now your Instagram face is not your everyday face or whatever that kind of thing is. The legs working hard under the water. I see that. I see that they didn't eat maybe to fit in a gown. I see that the gown wasn't working. I saw that they'd been in the paper for some reason they didn't want to be in the other day. That they didn't have control over the film editing that they just put everything into. That they didn't work for two years. That they all of that stuff, I see that and I know that now with a lot of these. So I have a lot of I guess I have more empathy for – I've always had empathy for people. I have more empathy for – I have empathy for fancy people that people think are fancy now. And I think that that – I don't glorify it all as much. I wonder also, given
1: your status, coming in as truly an outsider, yeah, it almost seems like that helped you
0: a little bit. Yes, 100 percent. Because I just – I think I have an inbuilt appreciation for where I am um, because I'm not from here. Uh, I think I have a perspective. I do have an Australian perspective. I can't not have it. You know, so I I do have a – can I swear? I just say, no, (laughs) you know what I mean? I don't have – I have – There are limits on the language we can use on this podcast. Can I use that? Can I do that one? (laughs) I'm looking at the girls in the window. They go, "Yeah, great!" I'm just going to let fly. This bad. Little beep, beep, Um, you know, I don't have a tolerance for bull, and I don't. I, and so, I think that 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 really helps too. Um, I am straightforward and I'm having straightforward conversations, and I encourage people to be straightforward with me. It's so. just refreshing,
1: I think. Yeah. When, especially in this world now, where you know Instagram and. All of social media, there are these incredible platforms, but there are also these places where there just seems to be this huge amount of fakeness. Like, fake is all around us, and in some respects, people are even encouraged to be more fake because you know, the more beautiful the picture, the more likes it's going to get. Whatever you have, the more likes exactly, 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 and and. When you're doing, when you're in your business in particular, mm-hmm. and it could be around you twenty four seven, having those real relationships, yeah, is what has to fulfill yeah, you. Yeah,
0: and I think it's it's super important to me. Um, and I didn't realize this. And I think again, you you in in our businesses, we do our jobs, but we also look it can look outside ourselves a little bit because we we do we're journalists, and that's that's sort of fun. I didn't think that. Again, I don't want this to sound. Um, as we say in Australia, up myself. Um, but I didn't realise I was gonna be as different to a lot of the other people in my business as I am. Um I think it's where I'm from, but also like I, I there's very few people that have a a public sense of humor in fashion. Um who or who publicly eat spaghetti or Why is you know, that? I, I don't know. I think that there's 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 still this idea of subscribing to an image that people think is fashion um I don't know I don't know I, I I mean look I'm people there's insecurity everywhere I think that that is what I'm and I, being partially from where I'm from how I was raised how I see things it's important to me to show that to young people mm-hmm. um and I didn't realize this because I was just doing my thing I just was like Putting up a funny picture or you know, or a beautiful picture, and I like glamour and as much as anybody else, but I would get these sort of funny little tweets like from like like a gay kid in the Philippines on Twitter being like, I want to be on Laura's like the look so much, and I'd be like right back, why well, aren't you on tomorrow? I'm obsessed with you, you know. Like anybody just feeling that I'm I'm making this world less scary to them, um, is I really I've taken that on now, and I, that's become my because I'm very conscious of. Young girls, especially, um, and not making things look like they can't attain it. You know what I mean. There's lovely things. I like a nice dress and a nice shoe and a beautiful model and a funny comedian. Whatever it is, I love all of that. I love beauty. I love. We all love fashion. We all think about what we put on our on our bodies every day. Um, but there's a way to transmit it to people where the choice is theirs, and we're not telling them.
1: On the May magazine covering of Amy Schumer. I do. And it is 140 Genius Picks Best Beauty
0: Buys. Best Beauty Buys. So, yeah, the beauty issue, this was – How do you make all of these choices? Oh, it's really cool. They have this – there's this franchise at Insta called Best Beauty Buys. And they poll – they're really diligent because I was like, I didn't know. You know, because I just got there. (laughs) Um, They do this hugely comprehensive reporting. They um, poll all these beauty insiders, industry people, and they go – I mean like hundreds of people, and they say, "What is your best foundation? What is your whatever?" And they average it out, and that's what you get. So you get um, the best advice from every single person in the business. It was quite dense before um, the beauty Buys, and lots of words, and it was quite small images. And I was like, "No, no, no!" Because it, well, it's my whole spirit with the magazines. Make it bolder and 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 bigger. So now you have six or something a page but it's like it's extremely clear that, that this Chanel foundation is the best foundation I or I seriously it's do so well use done. this it is I, how I decide yeah. which things to purchase I use it now and I honestly I think that um I was never particularly um as a magazine reader I would oftentimes skip beauty pages because I found that beauty pages in some titles are not adventurously reported they're not they're just obligatory. They're like they yeah, go to the same things over the and same over again thing over and over again. They go to we got the quote from a dermatologist, and as I said it really does remove fine lines. Great. Like I'm asleep. you know so <laughs> um I, putting more personality, but giving better service at the same time. Um, but I think they kicked ass with that. I'm so proud of it. And again, in this whole way I've tried to approach this issue is for my own interest as a reader, what interests me about beauty and why I have dear Amy Schumer on the cover, is number one, because I could have, you know, it would have been very easy to to launch a beauty issue and put a model on it who bought her own nose or whatever and say that's what beauty is. That's not responsible, I don't think. And um, I think that I love pretty models, but I didn't want to say on my first one, this is beauty. I put Amy on there because she's got something to say. And, uh, and especially in this environment, um it's so important to me that that voice is first. I say voice to my staff all the time. I said, doesn't matter what Snapchat filter you're doing or what your reach is. You don't have a voice. you don't have anything. Um, Amy has that, and also she looked kick ass in that swimsuit. like I, it wasn't even my plan for the cover. We did a couple of um sort of more generic I wanted to do this. I wanted to shoot her in a pool. I was like, I want to get an above shot of this because I want to either do it for a, for a spread in the magazine, but I know like I know she'll look great. I think it will say beauty in a way like she's having you know her spa day but it's kind of ironic and funny and uh, and she just she loved it she look at and this honestly we've retouched like around her face because she's got like makeup on it in a pool and one tiny thing on the top of her arm which you know when your arms are up you like it sticks out where your shoulder bone is sure but not one other thing you know looks great and i was like i just and it broke the internet Last week. It's like crazy. Um, And we did this really funny video where we are like asking about like, oh my God, it's so funny. I said, please let's do a really unironic, non-ironic? Was that English? Anyway, that you (laughs) mean. Irony free Um, (laughs) video with Amy asking her about beauty tips. And I was like, what's your beauty secret? You know, really. Right. And she goes... Toilet paper, <laughs> like, and she was in style. Like, it's so funny. Like, I, I what she went how often to get facials, and she's like, "Well, speaking of someone who's now had three. like, just funny. And and she's a normal girl, and, mm-hmm. and um, and then in, inside, what's really cool is um, as well as all these individual beauty stories, where I started a page called My Beauty Mark, and it talks about somebody's like red hair, or their freckles, or their gap teeth, or their curves, or whatever it is. But I sort of expanded that in the world well of the magazine, and I had four women talk about their signature. Um, look, so it's Debbie Harry talking about being blonde, obviously. Brooke Shields talking about her eyebrows, obviously. Um, but uh, Nicole Richie talking about her skin. She's mixed race um, and talking about how she loves the sun. And Gabby Sidibe, Gabourey Sidibe, um... Who was in Precious and now in Empire, um, writing about vanity? And she's the greatest writer. Man, she's so good and she's so funny. But it was really cool. uh, Each girl has her own page, with an amazing picture. And it's like they couldn't be more different: different age, different race, different size, different everything. But they all have this great, these great stories. So that's really that's what I loved so much. And they all just turned up and told us a story.
1: What do you say to young women who want to get into this industry now?
0: Work um is it worth it do you think it up? still yes, has yes. major
1: potential yes
0: oh 100 so the, for the, um, for the
1: people out there who are being told don't go after that
0: no i mean i hate this whole like uh crappy talk about print number one i think what we do have no this is i always say journalism or ma- magazines media brand in for example it's a great place to be greedy because we now have 360 degrees of a way to communicate it's not just the page everything i do on the page has five or six adjuncts online
1: mm-hmm.
0: a video a social campaign a blah 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 um and our online runs independently and we have features up there every day and stories that have been shot for there every day so i'm now i've now i've got this playground that is so much bigger than just the printer um no i think that there's no better time to get into, you know, I'll use the old-fashioned word magazines, um, because you can you can really tell a story and and it challenges you to communicate in all these different forums, all these different levels. Um, and again, I there's no better time to have a voice and use it, and that's what I think is. I, I I go to brands and say this. I say this to my staff. I'll say this to Estee Lauder, whatever. I'd be like. You know, there's all these ways you can aggregate your data and maximize your blah 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 blah. But I'm like, if you have something to say, people will pay attention. If you have nothing to say, they won't. Doesn't matter what your form is. If it's if you're, you know, writing in a, a in an attic, your your diary, or if you're editing a magazine, or if you're a politician, or if you're an A-list actress or whatever it is, have something to say and you will distinguish yourself. And I, and that's how in style is distinguishing itself.
1: Hardest lesson you've had to learn along
0: the way? Um, not to be a pleaser. When did you learn that? Um, recently. I have an ability to get on with a lot of people and I can walk into a room and get on and like, ah, oh, she's so fun. I you know. Um, but after a while being like, oh, that person. And again, like I get on with most people, but this person, if I have a, a chafe with somebody, um, like I, I, if I know I'm right, I'm not so worried about it anymore, mm-hmm. uh, especially being a boss. Mm-hmm. Uh, That is tough. You have to learn that being a boss and you have to learn that really fast and it's hard. It's really hard um, to make those sort of decisions, which thankfully I haven't had to really make very few. But it is hard. It is hard being like, I'm a nice person. I just want to do the job. Why can't we all get along or why can't this all just be skipping on rainbows all day, which I think largely it it can be. But it is hard if you have to make some sort of decision like that. Uh, More important to be respected than liked. I think you can be respected and liked. I do, I do, and I'm not. I'm, I'm not copping out. No, I, I agree. I, I, I think you can absolutely be respected and liked. But you also you need to not put up with with, yeah, you know. And um, and again, it's hard because I've just been like I've been jazzy, smiley Aussie forever. Still will be. Still am. Um, but you've got to put on your big girl pants sometimes. Worst advice you've received along the way? <sighs> Write a list. Like no, what no five-year plan? Make a make a plan. What what's that saying? How to make God laugh? Do you have plans? <laughs> right. So, I think that stuffs. I don't like it. I, like Yeah. Show, yeah. You, you never know, had you that specific layout. That. Never, never. I just I showed up. Just show up. You know what I mean? And don't. Oh, I, no. I have a reverse. It's not. I felt like I'm. <laughs> Laura Brown quoting herself. No. Um. I always say to people, underthink it. Don't overthink anything. You get nowhere from overthinking anything not
1: doing it sometimes that's what happens if i overthink
0: something a lot of the time
1: it means i wait too long to actually do the thing and it never ends well don't overthink the email that you're going to send to somebody telling them that you think the world of their Mm -hmm. work and that you'd Mm -hmm. love to meet them for coffee
0: yeah just send the email and be direct and be cool and just get it done don't now these days don't overthink your damn instagram caption like you know what i mean like just times two and also know trust yourself that you know enough like you know enough we, we've got jobs for a reason because i think well, hopefully we know what we're doing on some days but um <laughs> but you trust yourself that you have you're where you are for a reason and you've got potential to grow into whatever role you can be and that you're aware and you're alert of what's around you don't doubt yourself in those in those reasons because it never ever ends well so i think that that's that's really something i say to people all the time underthink i should trademark that very Ariana Huffington of me,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Laura Brown. Thank you oh, so much. I hope that was useful. It was great. I really, I genuinely, really enjoyed the conversation. Oh, I hope you did. Thank too. Thank you so much for caring. I
0: do. No limits. There's no limits to my Rebecca caring. Jarvis is caring. There's no limits <laughs> to how much I care.
1: <laughs> thank you. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of No Limits. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe, rate us, tell your friends. And if there's someone you think we should have on the show, let me know. You can tweet me at Rebecca Jarvis. And of course, you can follow along with us behind the scenes on Facebook, Instagram and Snapchat. And special thanks to the team here at ABC that helps make this happen. It is a big one. Taylor Dunn, Josh Cohan, Andrew Kelb, Michelle Bancardo, Steve Jones, Erica Scott, and Elizabeth Hecht. And join me next Tuesday for an all new episode of No Limits with Rebecca Jarvis. Until then, take care, be well.